The Sparks Museum podcast is made possible by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The podcast is just one of many new features of the Sparks Heritage Museum. To learn more, check out our social media channels or our website at www.sparksmuseum.org. And welcome to the Sparks Museum podcast. I'm your host and the media manager for the Sparks Heritage Museum, Jessica Johnson. In 1983, Detective Teresa Lightfoot of the Sparks Police was awarded Officer of the Year during a police appreciation luncheon. She began working at the Sparks Police Department in 1970 during a summer teenage opportunity program as a receptionist. She eventually would be hired as a full-time dispatcher, which required a waiver due to her being barely 18 years old. Lightfoot would again need a waiver in 1979, this time for her height when she was hired as a police officer. She was commended at the ceremony for her courage, resourcefulness, and professionalism particularly in the rescue of two young boys from the Truckee River and in her ongoing investigation of sexual assault cases. The runners-up for the award were two male police officers, one from the Reno Police and one from the Washoe County Sheriff's Department. Today on the podcast, I sit down with Deputy Chief of the Sparks Police, Tara Edmondson. Deputy Chief Edmondson joined the Sparks Police in March of 2003 and is the first female Deputy Chief in the city of Sparks. She speaks to the history of the Sparks Police, what makes the Sparks Police unique from other law enforcement services, and the opening of the Sparks Police exhibit on display currently at the Sparks Museum. Please welcome to the podcast, Deputy Chief Tara Edmondson. Tara, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. So I want to start off by asking, what personal connection do you have with the city of Sparks? Well, I this is my home. So I was actually born in Carson City. I spent uh, most of my youth there through elementary school. Uh, my dad took a job with the Sparks Police Department when I was pretty young. Uh, and he was commuting back and forth from the, the Carson Dayton area for several years. And it just got to be a little bit too much burden and we didn't get to see him a lot, obviously anyway, and the commute didn't help. And so we moved to Sparks when I was in middle school. So about 11, 12 years old. And I went to Dilworth middle school here. I'm a Reed high school graduate and uh, I went away for college and uh, came back and just, I missed my family. I missed the environment. I missed being here. And it was really important for me, regardless of where I ended up, I needed to come home for a while after I got done with college. So um, I just, I never left after that. So it's, this is home. Sparks is home for me. That's fantastic. And how did you come to be in your current career path? Well, it was definitely not a direct one. Uh, So I uh, was actually pursuing an education in chemistry I really wanted to go into either pharmaceuticals or be a pharmacist. So still really helping people, but in a different way. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go do the laboratory kind of route where I'm actually making and creating new medicines for people. Or like I said, be a a pharmacist where I'm, you know, giving medicine on the other side of the the coin for folks that are sick and helping them feel better. Um, I was a student athlete in college and just the demands of both. Uh, got to be a, a large burden, and it was just having a hard time balancing between my education and my demands for for the sport I was playing and travel associated to it and everything. And so uh, at the time, uh, CSI, crime, you know, crime Scene Investigation show, was getting really popular when I was in college, and I was a big 
mystery buff when I was growing up, like read all the Nancy Drew novels, Sherlock Holmes, oh, sure. all the Agatha Christie mysteries, you know, <laughs> grew up watching uh, Murder, She Wrote, <laughs> you know, so um, I really loved uh, the mystery component. And because of that forensic science twist to it, and then my connection to law enforcement with my dad, I was like, oh, well, I wonder if I can kind of twist my my science knowledge and experience and desire to kind of be involved in science into this this other bubble. Um, so did that actually for a couple of years after I graduated from college. I worked at the Carson City Sheriff's Office as a forensic technician after I did an internship with the Washoe County Sheriff's Office Crime Lab. Uh, and then it just wasn't enough. I was spending a lot of time in a lab. I did some crime scene investigation work, a lot of evidence processing, uh, even in fingerprint identification and drug identification. Um, and it was just not enough personal interaction with people. And I felt that the, uh, the information loop was, was lacking. I wanted to know what happened when I was done with it. And uh, so I really started to talk to the deputies there in Carson City about what being an officer was like. It's funny, I never really talked to my dad about it until I really wanted to, <laughs> to change jobs. <laughs> it sounds silly, but it was just, it was never in the forefront of my brain. Um, and then Sparks, I applied for uh, Sparks and for the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Uh, I didn't finish the or I didn't finish the hiring process with the Washoe County Sheriff's Office, and uh, got hired with Sparks PD in 2003 as an officer. So here That's we are, fantastic. Yeah, and now you have worked your way up. You are deputy chief. I am. And so, what did that process go like, and what does that duty entail? <laughs> Well, um, I can tell you I am not where I started, so I can <laughs> definitely tell you I'm much more administrative and managerial now, uh, 20 years later, rather than um, what I was doing. So being a police officer and, and really getting, you know, being in the trenches or having my hands dirty with the interaction with, with people. I interact with people on a different level. My job now is really much more administrative uh, in facilitating uh, and logistical supplies more more likely. So I, I oversee the investigation division of the police department, and uh, that includes um, major major crime investigations, so crimes against person, things like murder, uh, battery with a deadly weapon, um, you know, sexual assaults, crimes against children, et cetera, as well as all the property crimes, so like fraud-related crimes, burglary. And then in addition to that investigative section, uh, I, I also oversee a regional um, undercover unit. Uh, so that includes a lot of folks that, um, dress, you know, in a, in a different style than you would normally anticipate, like an investigation detective to come knock on your door and say, Hey, I'm following up on your burglary. Mm. Um, these, these folks, um, really do their best to like blend in to the scenery and look like the folks that they're chasing around that are committing these crimes. Um, and their job is to really interrupt crime trends. Mm. So we have the regional crime suppression unit, we also have a repeat offender program unit. And so what they do is they actually monitor, that unit monitors habitual criminals. In addition to the investigative side of the house, I also have um, our internal affairs section. And just what that means is that is an oversight position for um, accountability for our officers. So if anyone has a complaint or like from inside or outside the department, uh, that's where those complaints get routed through. They also monitor and have early intervention monitoring requirements for um, how much force we're using on folks um, and checking in with folks on a regular basis based upon certain criteria. 
And then I also oversee the uh, support services section, which is all of our community relations uh, activities. So hiring, recruitment, background investigations, in addition to our public information office and crime prevention, and then our community outreach programs, like and like our homeless outreach program that we have, that team also falls under that, that branch. So I'm busy. <laughs> I'm really busy. That is a lot. <laughs> and then I have some other administrative duties like building maintenance, uh, fleet management, and uh, the budget. Wow. <laughs> well, I can say the whole reason why we brought you in today is because the Sparks Museum recently developed a brand new exhibit dedicated to the history of the Sparks Police Department. And I will say just from my own personal experience, um, I was welcomed in to come take some photographs for the exhibit um, into the police department. And it was incredible to see just the variety of different departments working in sync in a city that I think often gets discounted and kind of that, especially in relation to our nearby partner of West Sparks or Reno. And so I'm really interested in that kind of that line of demarcation because I feel like Reno Sparks gets looped together often. And yeah, nobody knows where Sparks is. It's it, just Reno. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what is the relationship like with, for example, RPD? Uh, we have, so we are really fortunate in this region um, to have very uh, valuable working partnerships with our law enforcement partners in this valley um, and throughout the state and even into Northern California. Um, so that's a lot of work to nurture those relationships. Uh, but the common goal at the end of the day, when we realize it, is that we are chasing around usually the same people for the same types of crimes. And it's just happened to be, it's happening in each individual jurisdiction, but we're all chasing the same people. So we've just discovered, not like just recently, but we've, we've discovered as a law enforcement group that it's more important to, to rally our resources and have that force multiplier of all of us working together and sharing all that information together rather than trying to work it separately and really working harder and not smarter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear yeah. that it's not just a, it's on your land, you deal with it sort of situation. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not efficient, it's not effective, and it really does a disservice to our community um, to function that way. Um, law enforcement does have a tendency uh, to have a lot of ego involved, um, and we really try, especially in this region, um, to try and quell that and quash it and keep it down to a dull roar, um, to, to really keep the mission in mind, and that's to provide public safety, to make sure that our citizens uh, and all of our community members uh, that live in our area are safe uh, and that they can go about their business and, you know, live fruitful, full lives, you know, without <laughs> police involvement whenever possible. Um, so that's, I think it's just really maintaining that common goal and that common focus that helps us work together. We do in this region also, we have a lot of regionalized units where members of the Reno Police Department, Washoe County Sheriff's Office, uh, the Sparks Police Department, even UNRPD, and uh, the Nevada State Police um, are, participate in various different regional units in the in the valley, um, and so we all work together. Supervision is also shared amongst those units, um, and it's just to help maintain that that common goal. And it's just it's just it's working. It's it really is working. Now I know that the population of Sparks has really increased. Uh, over the years. We're seeing a lot of movement to this area. And I think the most recent count, official count that we have is over 108,000 residents in this area. So how many calls does SPD respond to? And 
what are the challenges with this influx of population? Yeah, um, I actually did a little bit of research uh, before this podcast, and we are right around 88,000 calls for service. Wow. Um, Is it annually? That's So that was just for 2021 alone. Mm-hmm. We are on track for this year to date to be over that. So all of our monthly calls for service on the calendar year since January we are on track to be over 88,000 calls for service this year. Wow. Um, but yeah, typically we are, we've been, we've been over 80,000 calls for service for quite a while. Um, and just on a side note, just the population growth itself. So since 2000 alone, our area has grown, the population has grown by over 64%. Mm. So that's, and then in a very small geographic footprint. So we are be, we've gone from like a, this kind of sleepy bedroom community um, and very suburban to a very urban footprint. So it's, it changes how, how we do business here as well. And I'm sure it changes the, uh, the amount of resources that are also required for your department. What are some of the biggest challenges that you think are facing the department today? Um, staffing, for sure. Um, just on a nationwide trend, right, the police and law enforcement in general has been in the public's eye a lot, and, and should be for, for all intents and purposes. We, we serve the public, we are of the public. Um, the public has every right to, to demand and question us um, as to what we do and how we do business. Um, it's just some of that attention has drawn, um, I think some, not overreactions, I think just people have been very quick to react to make a choice or make a decision or change laws or change policies and directives where I think there's best of intentions behind it, but they didn't really think them through. So I think, like, for example, a lot of the, the defunding mm-hmm. movements that happened, uh, we were very fortunate in this area to, to not be subject, and that was not, um, not even, like, a consideration for our elected officials in this area, for any of the agencies in this valley, um, which we are very fortunate and thankful for. Um, but not other law enforcement agencies across the United States were, were not so lucky and were defunded by 10% or more of their, their budget, with the intent, you know, to try and divert those services elsewhere, but there was no plan in place to make that happen. So you froze positions or you laid people off, um, and then there was no one else to take over those services be- services because those plans weren't put into place. So we were dealing with that on a different level. So as mentioned, you know, before our population growth has been pretty exponential with that 64% growth in, in a 21-year period. Um, when I was hired in 2003, we had just right around 100 personnel sworn. That's not including our, including our professional support staff, so just sworn personnel, so just by the status of police officer, and that's all the way from the chief down to a line-level police officer, 100 personnel in 2003. Um, we have 127. Mm. So that 64% growth is not reflective in the 27% growth that we have as the police department. Um, so that not growing at the same pace as our population has been a struggle. And then on top of law enforcement in general, just not being a super popular profession to get into, it has its own unique challenges in and of itself. Law changes, um, just the popularity in general and the public scrutiny. Those are all little deterrents. Those are all not little deterrents. Those are big deterrents um, for folks. Um, There are just people who are inherently, I think, bound to serve um, that that will never be deterred by that. And those are the folks that we, we want to, we want to bring out of the folds and we want them, you know, we, all of us, all of us want them, but we are now at a point in a, in a criticality where, especially in this Valley and probably nationwide, we are all 
now fighting for those same same people and it's it's a struggle it is a struggle and it's a it's a big worry of mine as to how we're going to continue providing the services that that we want to serve absolutely and i think that in addition to awareness movements like the Sparks Heritage Museum putting up our exhibit and items like that. I've seen police presence at a lot of community events, not just in keeping the public safe, but also setting up booths and giving out information. Can you talk about some of the events that Sparks Police does try and present a, a, a different image that maybe we are otherwise used to? Yeah, um, you know, it's one of the, the critical tenets of just community-oriented policing is having those non-law enforcement-related contacts we want to talk to people when they're actually having a relatively good day and not just always talk to them when they're having a bad day. I think it's really important for us. And it's, um, we call it um, a, a deposit in our bank, right? We, we build those relationships. We're building community trust. We're, we're building those bridges for people to want to share uh, and provide information for us on, you know, crimes that may occur in an area um, to, to report it at all. You know, if they see something, you know, we want them to say something. And so to do that, they need to trust that, that we, we're going to do the right thing for the right reasons. So those community events are, are really, really important to us, and we enjoy it. It's, <laughs> it is fun. It's fun to interact with people on a level to where there's an, a, a bubble of positivity <laughs> happening, and we all get to, to kind of exhale and relax a little bit, and people can ask questions that they wouldn't normally be able to ask if they were you know, exposed to some sort of level of trauma uh, or some sort of you know, act that is distra- <laughs> distracting them. They're not going to ask about a job in the city of Sparks after their car's been burglarized. You know, that's not typically how this how this works. Or, you know, they're in a car accident and they're like, hey, how do I become a police officer? That's It, it, it typically doesn't happen that way. <laughs> so we, we really focus on those community events. So some of the examples are, um, you know, we really try to focus on the, on the kiddos. Uh, so we'll do like big dig events, you know, and that's a pretty big partnership with um, Washoe County, um, and then we partner with like Peterbilt and some of the other folks that are in our industrial area and Sparks uh, to, to participate in that event. Um, there's the music at the marina or the ro- rock on the river uh, events that the city does. Of course, there's hot August nights coming up, uh, the rib cook-off. Uh, and then those are, those are sanctioned events by the city of Sparks, but we really do try to have um, you know, a, a big officer presence down there and have some of those extracurricular um, events down there. We try and do a lot of child ID events, especially like around Halloween uh, and, um, you know, a lot of school, school related uh, show and tells, so to speak. And uh, we really try to, um, we're working towards getting into some better partnerships with our, you know, our faith-based community as well um, and share uh, some time with them um, just because I think it's a great opportunity to, to just be able to sit and talk with folks um, and share some common interests and get the word out there that, you know, we're there for them regardless of, of who you or what you believe in. Yeah. So it just helps keep us grounded. And I think it just, I think it normalizes and humanizes uh, our police officers as well. Now, I know a highlight of a lot of these public events, and it certainly was at the grand opening of the Sparks Museum exhibit, is the canine unit. <laughs> and we have a whole section of the exhibit dedicated to Tom and his his fleet of dogs. Could right. you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the canine unit uh, was something that we had um, historically in the police department. Uh, it went away just through, I think, change of leadership and... Uh, could be could have been lack of interest. I'm not I'm not entirely sure why it went away to begin with, 
uh, and then it um, resurfaced in 2005 uh, with two officers and really, I think, broke the mold on right the the ability and the importance of of having uh, you know effective police service dogs uh, in our agency. It's a great um, it's a great tool. It's a great asset, uh, and it builds great relationships because everyone right because I think it's really funny people people have a tendency to flock towards the animal side of things rather than people. It it just has it seems to break down some barriers and be able. It I think people are more willing to to start having conversations about dogs or horses or whatever other, you know, service animals that might be, you know, in the mix. And then you can start having some other, you know, conversations as well. I think it just has a tendency to melt those barriers down. So uh, it's been super instrumental. Um, Our dogs are constantly doing, um, you know, meet and greets with, with the kids and they have great, all of the animals that we've gotten, um, you know, have great personalities. They're very, um, people oriented and then they've got like an awesome like work switch they know when it's time to go to work and then they know when it's time to get love <laughs> so um, we're very fortunate and lucky that our canine team they work really really hard to maintain that and um, they work a lot of overtime um, to to maintain and keep those relationships with our community and be accessible to the community they, they've got a calendar out that they've they've built their own little uh, canine association as well they've built their own canine program or canine calendar this year um, to help build funds. And those funds actually go towards veterinary care and other long-term care after the dog actually retires from the police department. Um, it helps uh, maintain some care because, you know, dogs can get expensive and working dogs, especially um, when they break, they break big. So mm. they just, they, they don't, they don't have, you know, a good stop button most of the time. <laughs> so they play hard. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's usually pretty expensive to to get them back up and running again. So we as a department pay for all of that because obviously they're, 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 they're owned by the city. Um, but when they retire, uh, the handlers have an opportunity to, to basically buy their dog back um, and adopt them. So this, this canine association helps, helps pay for those funds. So it's all, it's all good things, honestly. It, it, it just keeps everyone, it keeps the police department in the forefront of people's brains and that, that we're here for them. And that we're not an untouchable entity that we we can't not be approached and you know just say hi. Now we recently had on the podcast Councilwoman Charlene Bybee who was talking about the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk <laughs> about the opportunities for women, uh, seeing as it is, continues to be a hot topic in the media, even though I so wish that it wouldn't. Um, <laughs> Can you speak to any statistics on female law enforcement officers in Nevada, specifically in Sparks, um, but also in a larger sense, can you speak about the opportunities for women today in law enforcement as a whole? Um, I can try. Uh, So on a national level, um, there hasn't been a national-wide study in a long time just about women specifically in law enforcement. And the last study that was done, I think, is is a little outdated, and I think probably isn't as accurate anymore, and I think it's a good thing. But the national standard on the last research that was done was that uh, women in law enforcement only averaged about 12 to 13%. Mm. Um, we, as, a, as, as far as Sparks Police goes, we, we average right around that national average. Right now, as it stands, we've got about, we're at a 10% uh, average of women in, in our department. Uh, we have, I, I can't speak to the state of Nevada as a whole, mm-hmm. um, 
detention, like so sheriff's offices and sheriff's offices with uh, larger detention facilities have a tendency to um, have a better diverse population in officer, um, especially men to women. Um, I can't say why other than the fact that it just seems to, to work out that way on a national trend. Um, so law enforcement in general, it's, it can have some physical challenges. It's, it's has requires some, some mental and physical toughness. Um, but there's no like size or height requirements or, or anything like that. So I think it's just, you have to have an inherent, um, desire to, to serve a greater population than yourself. You're essentially serving outside of yourself. You're doing something bigger than you. And women, I think, fit that mold very, very well. And women, as well as other, um, you know, culturally diverse, uh, you know, populations, it, it's representative of, of the communities we serve, right? So women have a place at that. Women have a place in the table to be in law enforcement. Women, um, need to be involved in law enforcement. Uh, we think differently, we problem solve differently, we build relationships differently, um, and we just have a tendency to see the lens differently. Um, and I think people discount uh, law enforcement as, as an option. Uh, it's an incredibly noble profession. I think it's one of, the, one of the last noble professions. I love this job. I highly encourage anyone that that would love to have that challenge uh, to, to reach out and ask, ask questions, ask why you can't. And I, and for, for me personally, um, I chose to have um, a family later in life. So I, I currently have a three-year-old, um, but you can do both. You can have everything. You can have your family time. You can be a mommy. Uh, you can be a deputy chief um, and you can do all of those things. It's just, it's balance. And so Right now for us, Sparks, we've actually joined, uh, we did it last year, we joined, it's called the 30 for 30 initiative. And so we have basically joined in pledge to focus on hiring and recruiting of women. Uh, and the goal is to have a hiring percentage of about 30% by 2030. Oh, wow. So that's a nationwide um, project and um we're working towards it and we'll see what happens, but I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. I really am excited for the ladies that I have currently working in the department. Um, I can't wait to see where they go and where their careers take them. And uh, I'm just excited that I get to be a part of it and I get to, I get to watch. So glass ceilings are being broken every day, right? It just, it's inevitable. And I really think people don't necessarily set out to be trailblazers, um, but people need to see, people need to see that people like them are in those positions and that it's attainable. And I'm just, I'm here to tell you that it's attainable. <laughs> you can do it. If you put your mind and effort and, you know, it's all the blood, sweat and tears that goes along with it, but you can do it. Well, I think it was so amazing to see not only in the research that we had to 
delve into in order to build the exhibit, but also on that opening day event to see all of the Sparks PD that were welcome to the event, the amount of diversity in the room was really encouraging. And in thinking about the exhibit, I want to know, because you were there that day, um, and we have had an overwhelming response since the opening of that visit from people who were family members of uh, individuals who used to work for the Sparks Police Department or people who actually physically worked there who want to donate items. Were you at all impacted by the response that you received being at that event? And maybe what is your favorite aspect of the exhibit? I was just getting goosebumps while you were just describing (laughs) all that just now. It's so it's so we pride our so our agency itself. We really we have always prided ourselves on being very family oriented. Um, And so I quite literally since the time that my dad started working at the Sparks Police Department um, grew up in the police department and I knew I babysit other people's kids. I, I knew who a lot of all of these folks were. I knew almost, you know, 80% of the folks that showed up at the, at the opening, which was just, it was so nice to see. It was so nice to see people, um, you know, know that they're a part, they're a part of our history and history is, you know, history is important because, right? It's what carries our stories and it's what gets passed along, but it also helps us learn, right? You learn from our mistakes, you learn what we did right, you learn what we did wrong, um, and it helps us progress and move forward. So history is incredible um, to see the changes that we've made over time, especially in law enforcement and especially through the Sparks Police Department. So I was I was overwhelmed by, by the, the desire to to be a part of it and to share it's most law enforcement officers i well and this is probably not a fair assumption or stereotype and i could probably should probably only just point my finger at myself at this um have a tendency to be very like quiet and withdrawn and you don't you don't wave that flag very often it's just not a very popular thing to do and so when people ask what you do for a living you have a tendency to take pause as to who's asking and how am I going to answer this? Am I going to tell them I'm a police officer? Or do I just say I work for the city of Sparks? Um, and that's that's changed, right? It didn't it didn't always used to be that way, um, but it makes you feel like you almost have to hide. You have to have a like secret identity. <laughs> um, but it's you have to be very careful and you have to be very cautious now. And it didn't always have to be that way. Um, and so when you retire, um, right, because of who you were for so long. Um, a piece of you kind of goes away, right? Mm-hmm. You've transitioned into not the officer or the detective or the sergeant or the lieutenant or the commander or whoever you were when you retired into you're just, you're just Joe, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And so to, to know that you, you're up on that wall in some way, shape or form or like you, it, like your, your history move, lives on and you'll be forever memorialized and forever remembered in some way, shape or form by someone um, I think it's just invaluable. And that family component, regardless of whether or not we truly knew each other or not, um, I think progresses as well. I think that just it's forever just kind of etched in people's hearts and minds that once you're part of the Sparks PD family, you're always part of the Sparks PD family. And that's priceless. Where do you see the future of policing and law enforcement in a city like Sparks heading, especially with some of the the inherent challenges of growth and development of late? I foresee us really trying to hone in on technology, technology f- to our advantage, again, to kind of, you know, coin the f- 
phrase or circle back around to it, right, is that working smarter, not harder, um, and using the resources that we have available to us. So technology, um, as we are all can all attest to, um, is very much embedded in a part of our lives, and it is really paramount for us in the city of Sparks, I think, to use that to our advantage um, and really capitalize on technology. Um, to help us do our jobs more effectively and efficiently and still, at the end of the day, provide people FaceTime with a police officer when they truly need one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's just really focusing on the improvement and addition, so improving on the technology that we have and then adding additional technologies as they become available to help our officers um, do our jobs better and provide a better service um, and continue to do that you know, it just under the anticipation that we will continue to have some limited resources here and there. So it's really focusing on technology to do, to help us do our jobs um, is where I see us going. What that looks like, that's the kind of the fun part is because technology changes so fast and so much that when you can create the demand, someone inevitably will cr- create the supply. So that's, I think that's kind of the, the fun part is that I don't, I don't know and I can see the path and I can see the light, but I don't know how we're going to get there yet well, or I what think, it looks like. So it's cool. Well, I think that that's such a uh, interesting thing to think about because in our exhibit, we have a polygraph machine and a radar speed reader and a radio and all sorts of technology that when you think about the city of Sparks, we are just over 100 years old. That's not right. very old yeah. in the grand scheme of the history of the world. And yet... Look how far the technology has right. already come that those items are museum worthy. Right. We we literally carry around many computers in our pocket at all time. And officers who first started, they would have radio call boxes. So the radios were one way. And so they would get told that they need to call in and they would stop and pull over at designated locations and open up a, you know, a key box essentially mm-hmm. to call dispatch to find out what their call for service was. And now we have computer systems in our cars. We have uh, GPS units where dispatch can literally see where we are and help guide us into something uh, and give us directions while we're doing it in real time and even help create perimeters when we have a a missing kiddo or um, we're trying to just find someone, you know, who might have just committed a crime and we're trying to set up a perimeter to, like, contain them. So, like, the science and the technology that's out there – it's phenomenal. It's it's stuff that I grew up literally watching on TV going, that's so cool, and I hope we get to do that one day. In our exhibit, we were able to incorporate so many fun aspects like a scrapbook of different articles and memories, the original jail cell panels from the 1941 yeah. jail that's now a photo op, Sparky the car. Is there any particular artifact that is your favorite in that area? Oh, gosh. Um No, uh, I can't. I can't. I can't pick one. I can't just pick one thing. Um, I'm really grateful that. Um, sorry, I'm going to get emotional about it. Um, I'm really glad that Larry's on the wall. Yeah. Um, I knew Larry. I was a kid when he was murdered. Um, my dad was a supervisor. And so, just, just for context, this is Officer. Sorry, Larry, Larry Johnson. Yeah. So he is right now, to date, um, the one and only officer that's been killed in the line of duty for the Sparks Police Department, which is phenomenal and I'm super grateful for. Um, but he was a great man. He yeah. was a great man and he was um, a really good police officer and it's a tragedy. 
And uh, good Lord, sorry. Um, so yeah, um, I'm super grateful that um, we got to share him with our public so that he knows how important he was to us um, and that he will get to live on forever. So yeah, so that's it. Absolutely. And just being able to visit the police department and see the memorial that your building has set up for him and how you welcome his family continually who still lives on in this community and celebrates his memory every year year. is so special. And I think that leads perfectly into the final question that I have for you, which is what do you think makes the Sparks Police Department different from other law enforcement agencies? It's, it's family. Um, we know each other. We know each other's names. <laughs> you know, there's agencies that are just, they're so big that um, you see someone walking in the hall and you have no idea who they are. And so it's really important, especially for the chief, uh, Chief Crawforth and Deputy Chief Bellamy and myself, to, to know everyone who's in the building um, and know who they are, know their names, know what's going on in their lives. Uh, even if we've got to, you know, figure it out in different channels. Um, we really pride ourselves on knowing, you know, what's what's going on with them um, and asking, right? And it's it's important to, to ask and check in and know that they matter and have value. And so I think that's what sets us apart from, I think, just other agencies. And it's not to say that other agencies don't do this. I just, I think you know, for Sparks, this is how we've been. This is why I chose Sparks. This is why I chose to work here because it, it was family uh, and a family environment. And we've really prided ourselves on on keeping and maintaining um, that that culture within our agency. And like I said, you know, once once you're a Sparks PD family, you're you're always Sparks PD family and we will we will do whatever we can to to take care of you. We don't always get along, right? Families don't always get along, <laughs> uh, but we but we love each other, um, and that's important. And because you have to, you have to you have to love the people that you work with um, to do what we do every day, because you have to trust um, that they're going to be there for you. So that feeling was certainly palpable at that opening day event, <laughs> and it's palpable right here again with you talking about it. So I wanted to thank you for that. And now we're going to move on to our big three questions. Okay. These are the questions that we ask each and every one of our guests when they come on. So we start with what sparks you about Sparks? What do you think makes it an interesting or unique place to live, work, or visit? You know, I think Sparks is now, especially now, um, it's really getting to be like the best of both worlds. It's still, I think, has that small homey feel, um, but it's got big things going on. So, and it's it's changing, right? It's we're watching it change and develop before our eyes. And so, for for just to be a you know a member of this community, I live in the city of Sparks. So just watch it happen. Um, I think, you know, that's it's phenomenal that we we are progressing and changing. But the the intent it's intentional. Like the change is intentional, and um, to to make it to make it better, to make it more diverse, to make it you know more. Um, you know, equitable for people, you know, of all socioeconomic levels where the, the goal should be to, to be this welcoming city and to really set ourselves apart from, not that it's not important to be, you know, <laughs> East Reno or, you know, <laughs> West Sparks, but, um, but we to really to provide a different level of service and community that sets us, sets us apart from, from Reno 
or even the unincorporated areas um, that Washoe County serves. So it's, I just, it's, it's changing. And I think the fact that it's changing and can change uh, and there's a willingness to change, um, I think is kind of what makes it unique because I think some places have a tendency to, to be very stagnant and like, this is the old way and this is how we've always used to do it. And um, I don't always know that that's, that's the right way. So, Do you have a favorite story or moment from Sparks' history? This could be either a personal memory that you'd like to share or if there was anything that happened that was newsworthy that you remember. This could even be a memory of an event or something you know, recent. Um, so when I was growing up, so the the event has changed, and I don't even think it exists. No, I can tell you it doesn't exist anymore. It's just more because it, it morphed into something else, and um, I think the intent behind it changed a little bit. But when I was growing up, uh, the the old farmer's markets downtown, Oh, they yes. were always on Thursdays. And in fact, I even think they started out to be twice a week, and then they just converted into like that one day a week. And I want to say it was Thursdays. Um but it was such a cool place. There was, you know, there was live music. There was the crafts. It was like, it was just having like a little mini special event every Thursday. My dad was working at that time. They probably hated it, but <laughs> I loved going down there. And I think I loved going down there. So, cause I could go see him. So when he was down there working, I could go down there and see him and we could, you know, get a cold drink, get a lemonade or, you know, get a bite to eat. And then, you know, we'd get our produce and then we'd leave, you know, and I just, I loved that. I just, I, it was a time and opportunity to be able to see my dad when it wasn't a super stressful moment, but he was at work um, and it wasn't awkward and, un- you know, and uncomfortable <laughs> like to go like introduce yourself to a bunch of other people that you, I, I knew, like I knew who he was working with, right? So it was just just walking up into a crowd of other police officers and, you know, just to go say hi to my dad kind of thing. It was, those were, that was my whole family. It was like going and saying hi. It was like going to have a family reunion every time you went and do it, did it. So, um that was really cool. I, and that's, that's probably one of the, the cool moments of just, you know, being a, a teenager, I think at the time and, you know, wanting to, wanting to go see my dad at work. So that is excellent. And yeah. we get so many people that come to the museum that reminisce about that farmer's market. It is very missed. So that's so excellent to hear you share that. Yeah. Thank you. And our last question, since we are a museum that is dedicated to preserving artifacts and oral histories, and we believe that every story from this Truckee Meadows region is worth sharing, um, I was wondering, and this could be any item, not just relating to the police, um, is there any item that you are either aware of or that maybe that you might personally own that you believe is museum worthy, perhaps even Sparks Museum worthy? And you don't have to donate it, but we would take it off your hands. <laughs> um, you know, there's things that are that I have in my personal life that was, you know, passed down through family. Um, but I don't think anybody else would care about it. Oh, well, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, I wish I had, to, I wish it was much more specific to like the Truckee Meadows. You know, it's just, I guess the fun fact, I have some fun facts. I mean, it's not, yeah. I don't know that it's museum worthy. Uh, my dad actually, so the GSR now, my dad actually helped build that. So before oh he got gosh. into law enforcement, he was in construction and was in carpentry with my grandfather. Um, and it was the Bally's back then. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, they helped they helped build that. Uh, it was part of that construction project. But And there's several other buildings. Worked on the Ormsby House down in Carson City. And 
Yeah, that so. is incredible. <laughs> so your family but is steeply is we're is embedded. <laughs> yeah. So and it's funny because both my parents were very much their fa- you know my families before settling in the in the Carson City in the in the Sparks area were very much nomads before that. So my dad was from California in the Bay Area and moved around a lot because he was in carpentry with my grandfather and then my mom, um, my grandfather was also uh, attached to uh, you know building and construction firms, but he was he was a CPA. And so he, uh, they just, they moved constantly. And so like Carson City became like home base for, for them in like the late seventies and, or mid, mid to late seventies. And it was just, that's, that's been home ever since my grandmother still lives in Carson and yeah. Wow. So. Well, that was an exciting time to live here. There was so much change going yeah. on. And I feel like we're in a, in a new period of change right now. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh yeah. This is, we're going to blink our eyes and probably hardly even recognize the place. Wow. Well, we are going to look forward to seeing what comes in the future for both the City of Sparks and the Sparks PD. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The Sparks Museum podcast is funded in part by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It is produced and recorded at the podcast recording studio at Sparks' own AntSpace Coworking Entrepreneurial Hub, a place for entrepreneurs made by entrepreneurs. We really want to get the word out about our brand new audio series, so please spread the word about our new podcast by taking a moment to rate, review, and share this episode. Do you have a favorite story of Sparks that you want to hear on the podcast? Email info at sparksmuseum.org to share any recommendations. We would love to hear from you. We also invite you to visit the Sparks Heritage Museum on 814 Victorian Avenue. The museum is open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Please come visit and be a part of our ongoing efforts to tell the Sparks story. We'll see you next time.